Welcome to the weekend must watch here on the Intercut podcast channel where we wade our way through the latest in theater streaming and on demand. I am your co-host Zachary Shevich and joining me the most famous accordion player in ex- an extremely specific genre of music. It's Arturo Zurita. Or it would have been a streaming movie in the most specific streaming service imaginable since uh, we got theatrical movies, we got TV series, we have a new Streaming service movie. It seems like there's always going to be something uh, on the horizon that we'll never expect. But Roku is now a part yeah. of the game. I feel like we've talked about Roku. You know, we've done hundreds of intercuts at this point. This is a long-running podcast. Um, I think we've talked about Roku like less than the number of times I can count on my hand. Like we've it, had a good amount of times. We, we mentioned when they in. bought. We mentioned when they bought Quibi. We yeah. definitely gave them a shout out at some other point, but like at some point, you, you know, and we're I not talking about Roku originals Roku's. that much. <laughs> I feel like Roku <laughs> sure. is the thing that the older generations tend to gravitate towards. They may not understand the Apple TVs or the smart TVs on the TVs are too too slow. Roku has been uh, able to take over pretty much everyone's households and having a Roku in every single place. It only makes sense that after offering the free content, being able to pick up a library from Quibi, that they start making their own. I didn't think they would be hitting festivals exactly. like you were able to with this right. movie since it played there. But, <laughs> hey, it's a whole new world. If Apple's winning Oscars and Netflix has some of the biggest things out there, mm-hmm. yeah, why not Why not Roku? Yeah, it's an interesting play from Roku because, like, as you mentioned, they have become somewhat ubiquitous in the uh, streaming device uh, world where, you know, it's pretty much them apple tv and chromecast i feel like running most things i guess there's some some fire stick Amazon, users out yeah. there as well but um considering that they are not attached to a one of those gigantic companies the way that you know like apple tv is uh it, they've made a pretty solid uh carving out for themselves mm-hmm. in in that world and i guess only makes sense that they've uh, you know, ventured a foot into the original content of business as well to try and get more eyes their way. I've been reading some interviews actually with uh, Roku executives just because I was I was curious about this, and uh, they're very committed to that free on demand uh, idea that we've been talking about the makes. the freebies of the world and the tubies of the world and the uh, uh, Pluto TVs of the world that are all I feel like getting bigger and bigger. So you know, weird might be one of the first. First trending movies we've seen come out of one of those free on demand or free uh, streaming video services, but I don't think it will be the last. It won't. And just to retract for the people who don't know, every service that you have has a free one. Netflix just announced their free ad version, which is going to end up being $6, and it's like a really big deal because they've always said no ads. They're presenting theirs. Uh, Amazon has switched theirs from being IMDb TV because they own IMDb. If you ever wondering mm-hmm. why you're an IMDb and they continue pushing Prime shows, I wonder why. Uh, theirs is now called Freebie, <laughs> which is which is very smart, right? Yeah. In this new form of like, oh, are you streaming? Are you paying for it, or are you? Getting it for free with ads. Freebie is a beautiful name to have. And now they've integrated that in, in uh, within their Prime service. You were we were always talking about Tubi. Tubi's been killing it. Mm-hmm. They're also doing originals. They understand what the game is. Uh, we're mentioning Roku as well. Roku went through so much stuff, though, because if you don't remember, HBO wouldn't allow mm-hmm. the app on Roku because HBO demanded that they get all the analytics from Roku. And Roku's like, why the hell would we give you all of this? And then Roku quickly realized mm-hmm. that 
everybody else was siphoning that from them. And they also had a fight with Google and Google didn't want to allow YouTube or YouTube TV, especially for sports. Yeah. So it's like just following what they argue about kind of taught Roku how to become the next streaming giant to a degree if it's able to do that because it's in everybody's homes already. Uh, Pluto is a, is a great example of it being done right, but them not knowing what to do with it. Because I read the one with the Pluto execs and the Pluto execs are like Pluto TV and Paramount. Those are the two that we have here at Viacom. People pay for Paramount, yet Pluto TV free with ads is making so much more money. And with all of mm-hmm. that money that they're making, more than Showtime and uh, Paramount combined, they still don't know what the future is. And I'm like, I don't know. The future kind of sounds like everybody else. Netflix becoming a provider of movies, Tubi, Roku. Um, if Plato, Pluto doesn't hop on it, then they're just going to be the ones who are left behind. So I'd be very curious to see where it expands. Hulu has its own free version. Everyone has a free version. But to uh, post up a full free movie. And it'd actually be kind of decent. I think it's a little bit different. Yeah. So let's start with the theatrical ones, though, because there is a lot of movies yeah. that came out this week, uh, you know, several different places to watch these things. I don't know if uh, the movie we've been talking about, Weird Al, is playing in theaters or if you were one of the lucky few to be able to catch it in theaters because of a festival. Uh, no, I, I didn't. Amanda was at the premiere, the, the Midnight premiere. Madness oh, screening of it, but I, I missed it, missed out on it when it was at Toronto. Well, so skipping I, on that I one. I watched it at home like all of us. <laughs> Uh, beginning with some of the theatrical releases, though, this week, we have a yeah. twofer of movies that I think are they were pretty hyped up for a lot of people. I was pretty hyped up for them. I think a lot of people are seeing them as being Oscar contenders, perhaps one a little bit more mm-hmm. than the other. But they've been getting uh, some interesting reviews. Uh, which one do you want to start off with, Zach? Do you have a particular one between the comedy drama that's rated R and is an hour and 54 minutes or the comedy drama that's rated R and is an hour and 54 minutes? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I, these are both some of the best movies I've seen all year, so it's, it's hard to pick between them. Uh, I guess we can go in alphabetical order Let's since they're both at the top A-B. of the alphabet as well. Yeah, Armageddon Time was a movie that you were able to catch right at the end of the New York uh, Film Festival. I had to leave early, but I think you got to see the whole cast and crew there. Uh, you spoke a little bit a little bit about it, and I was able to see it in theaters for the first time this week as it's expanding little by little. And uh, I personally think that James Gray is a pretty good director. I think he's able to get a mm-hmm. lot of scope out of his stories. He's able to direct some really good actors. And I'd say that that's really no different with this new one that he has right here. I think that the kid is fantastic in it. First of all, I thought it was a girl mm-hmm. the whole time. I thought it was like Carrie Coon Jr. But the kid <laughs> comes in and he's really the whole focal point of the story. You are following his yeah. perspective to a degree that the sound design, the camera will change, literally depending on how he views a scene. And I thought that was very effective. Mm-hmm. This is like a better version of Belfast where the director is retelling you his story of being a child. Um, but then sometimes forgets that he's still the 40-something-year-old 2022 man who I think may inject <laughs> a little bit too much into that viewpoint of a child reliving his his past. Mm-hmm. But uh, the whole story, as you broke down before, is this kid who's going to a public school. His parents want him in a private school specifically because he, he may be hanging yeah. out with bad influences. And the message that he gets from his parents may be a little bit different than the message he gets from his grandpa, uh, played by Anthony Hopkins, who fantastic in this movie he's not he's just playing himself if you've ever seen his like social media stuff he's just <laughs> playing himself um and it's him learning those lessons as he realizes the amount amount of privilege that he has in this movie and i think that that's where yeah. that idea of it being a movie about like holding on to that guilt um i connected to uh what's the one that i just said the other one the black and white belfast because i don't think that right. this kid 
in retrospect in retrospect he does but at the moment understands the big family who was supporting a lot of the things and i really needed to go to the mm-hmm. bathroom uh during this movie and i waited because there's a whole scene where they just present you a lot of people who you see in the trailer but i don't think they were made known that these were uh actual people who helped the family um Nonetheless, I think it is a good movie. I was very worried by the trailer because the trailer made it seem like a Hallmark original movie. And Zach, there are some times where it does kind of lean back into being a Hallmark original movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a lot of heart in it. And I think that the cringe and what may feel like really bad to some people because it's very much a specific perspective. It needs to be because it's if it's a story about privilege, then one must show the privilege that they have. Right. I mm-hmm. think this was a discussion we were having about uh, the movie having some contrasting uh, viewpoints. And if it's talking about this specific family and having survived the Holocaust and now what they're going through here in America and contrasting that with his new friend, uh, you're bound to get parents who are like, I don't care what happens to that kid. I'm going to focus on my child. Mm. But Zach, you had mentioned a lighting thing in this movie. <laughs> so I made sure to go see it in the best possible theater that I could. Right. They, they do do my boy dirty a little bit in the beginning, man. They had him up against some. And I'm trying to see if I can find some pictures of the kid here. Uh, mm-hmm. This friendship Jaylen that Webb, they strike the, together. Jalen uh, Webb, the actor playing Johnny, yeah. Yeah, and both of them do a fantastic job. Uh, you said Jalen mm-hmm. is the, the friend? And then this is Banks? Yes. Or do I have him flip? Yeah, Banks or Peta is the uh, young James Gray. The main kid, okay. So they both do a fantastic job. I, I thought Jalen did a, a really great job of, again, the whole story not being from his perspective. It's only what his friend knows about him. And he's got to carry a right. lot of baggage, a lot of his own history when he's being interrogated, when he's being yelled at by the teacher. Um, I thought he did a fantastic job in it. He's innocent. Look, some mm-hmm. of the lighting choices I could see being a little bit difficult. That actually wasn't my problem. My problem was was whenever mm-hmm. they had my man up against uh, black backdrops, I'm like, you guys could orchestrate this whichever way you want. I would have just wanted some backdrops uh, where he would be standing out a little bit more. But the relationship that mm-hmm. they had within the movie, even I felt the way that you pitched it to me, um, you made it seem like it was a lot shorter than it was. And I think, I think they're both there for an extended period of time. I think they play off yeah. of each other and they learn... Um, a lot of lessons out of each other that they don't even necessarily need mm-hmm. to be told about because a lot of the movie is pitched like this is a kid who's learning his lesson from his grandpa but i think he already has been instilled some of those lessons just being raised in the family yeah there's a mix of influences there and i think um some of the backlash i guess against this film that sort of uh short changes the johnny character is arguing that he's not a full person on screen, but I don't really see that. I feel like there is uh, a depth to his character. We spend time with him. Like maybe he's not as much of a focus as uh, Paul is in the film, but that's because it's more of a film about Paul. And like, um, I'm I'm sympathetic to some of the arguments about uh, the way that he's utilized in the film. But to me, it's not anything that... I think ultimately takes away from what I thought was a really uh, moving and, and and kind of profound co- coming of age story that uh, worked worked very well for me. I I, I want to get more into it in you uh, in the after credits when we can we talk a little bit more uh, more openly and with spoilers. But yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of really interesting elements that James Gray is adding into like the the social political sphere of this film that uh, it makes it. More complex than I think uh, tweets can uh, it is can react to. Uh-huh. I yeah. don't think it's as like divisive as some people are making it out to be, but the complexity 
All that means is that someone can tell a story from their perspective. And it can override someone else's story. And both things can be true. It doesn't mean you're malicious. Mm -hmm. But I think to deny that in telling one person's story, it doesn't make the other one a supporting, supporting, supporting character. Uh, I don't know. Like, if they were flipped. And again, this is a discussion for the after credits, which we'll get into. But it's like, if the roles were flipped and it was Danny's character who had to be that Mm -hmm. sort of like, you're the character who's just here to teach me a lesson. How would that play out? Uh, And I think we've seen those movies, too. And we don't get the backlash to said movies. But I will give this movie Mm -hmm. one thing. It does not get a pass for that title font at the beginning and at the end, Zach. When that title font came on, egregious. I, I was literally right at the beginning. I was like, oh, I can't be on Zach's side. I just, I threw the towel right away. I was like, this is some, what was the Jonah Hill skating movie, bro? <laughs> Mid-90s? I had no idea what he was doing with the font. He also does some score well, in this, bro, where their yeah, connection is Sugar I think Hill the font, mm-hmm. they're playing Rasta. <laughs> well, that that is more of the sound of the New York hip hop scene at that time because it is the influence of the, the with them of the. Well, I mean, he's I don't know if he's necessarily like trying to take you on like a, a journey through the history of hip hop. I don't but think he like knew what that, he was that, that is like through. it's the Jamaican dancehall music that yeah. grew into hip hop in that time. So for sure, and I don't know that that might be on point. It's also the the font is meant uh, to reflect uh, the graf- graffiti that was a huge like thing in New York at the time. You see in the subway, it's like very period accurate. Not production what design subways look like now. Impeccable on the production design. Yeah. And on the sound design. Yeah. Really good stuff. We'll talk yeah. about this more over there. I just, I found that title so goofy because they do give us a good font yeah. in the credits, but the opening one, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, Armageddon time, the New York film festival selection. <laughs> uh, all right. You want to do a, a quick thing on Banshees so we can save some of it for the after credits as well? Let's do it. Uh, so Banshees of Inisherin, we talked about it a bit when I saw it back in the Toronto Film Festival, uh, the latest from Martin McDonough, which takes place on the fictional Irish island of Inisherin, following two friends, Padrick and Calm, played by Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, after one of them decides he doesn't want to be friends with the other one anymore. Art, uh, have you ever broken up with a friend? Um, I feel like my breakups with friends as end up being a dissipating, just dwindling of less talking yeah. and talking and like talking. I definitely ghosted a dude in college. Yeah, like I feel like that happens. I don't know if I've been the one to ghost a lot of people, but I feel it's like a mm-hmm. like I don't I don't a ghost would be just boom, not talking to them immediately. I think it dissipates a little bit, and then the other friend mm-hmm. tends to need a favor, and then they come back and they like DM you. But that's usually how it is. I don't, I don't, I don't think I ghost. I personally don't think I ghost too many people, but I do drag to respond to texts. <laughs> I don't consider that ghosting. But is I consider is it that why my DMs go unanswered? To respond to texts. It's a scene and everything, but it just won't go. You're looking at the bubbles. Um, I can guarantee you, though, it's never been to this extent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> no, is no a, severed fingers no. in your breakups. Um, not yet. This is, this is an interesting movie because we saw it with not as packed of a crowd as we did with Armageddon Time, but nonetheless, there was several people there, several several of the elderly folks who, who snuck in because you could tell they were just trying to see where the free seats were. Uh, they were feeling it by the end. So the freebies left, but anyone who paid for a ticket mm-hmm. did stay through it and were cool. probably there for their first Martin McDonough movie. We have seen a couple of them. I know one of both of our favorites that uh, made it all the way to the Oscars was Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Seven Psychopaths, yep. personally, might be my favorite. I'm not saying it's his best. Really? I just think it's my favorite. Um, and in Bruges. Over in Bruges. 
Yeah. Which was the last one. Don't get me wrong. I, I love I, I rewatched them. Mm-hmm. Bruce is better than Banshees, bro. I don't know how to tell it to you. I've been hearing a lot of people <laughs> compare these two together. It makes sense. Same actors. Yeah. Director style. It's not even close, bro. I'm sorry. Uh, in Bruges is, is so really? far ahead. Like I said, and I'm not saying that in Bruges isn't better than Seven Psychopaths. I personally really love Seven Psychopaths. Both are better than Banshees of, of Inisherin. And that's not a bad thing. Banshees of Inisherin is a very wow. interesting movie where you have two fellows who live in probably the most beautiful coastal tiny town in the 1920s. I wanted to go to the Ireland Islands. so bad after watching this. This yeah. is my, my movie about two lifelong friends who decided to not hang out with each other anymore because one's a little too dull and the other one's like, you know, I've been I've been in so much despair that I don't want to I don't want to waste another second with you. I'm a musician and I'd rather cut off my fingers than to spend another moment wasted with you even though that would kind of like waste his entire mm-hmm. gift of whatever. This place looks so beautiful. I was wondering why he was depressed. All of the shots here made me wish that I had seen this in a wider theater. They they get some astounding locations in this movie. Uh, even mm-hmm. just the simple pass of being able to walk from point A to point B. There's a running gimmick about trying to hide from this like witch lady and how you're able to just like turn mm-hmm. around and, and and hide in one of the walls of just the the stone um, like walkways that they have through the roads. Uh, all the performances in here were hilarious. Personally. I found myself most attracted to uh, the character of the sister just because she brought in the most yeah. warmth. She brought in the most like uh, level-headed discussion. Carrie because Condon as Shabon. Fantastic. You either have these two bozos yeah. going off of each other, not realizing that they're both just as simple, but <laughs> they're like they're like fighting with each other on, on who's more important, who's more nice. The townspeople were absolute morons just trying to like get the least possible uh, resistance from one another, or you have the other townspeople who are trying to get the most news or uh, stories out of the other people. (laughs) But for the most part, um, the tones was something that caught me off guard because I already know the dynamic that he's bringing into this, the dryness, the comedy that's really very, very sad. And it's kind of Mm -hmm. funny because of that. But then it gets a little too real and you stop laughing he plays with that to a degree in Banshee. That's what I love about it, that though. That was so uncomfortable because I, I'm like, it's a funny moment, but it's so sad. Or there's a moment yeah. that's so sad, and then you start finding it funny, and it's disgusting mm-hmm. how well he does it. Um, I do want to catch this one again because it's. Uh, I heard that he had written this years ago, and it was in revisiting it that he kept the initial part of the two friends deciding were lifelong friends, no more, and then switched everything after the fact. Um Mm-hmm. And that's when I started reading into it because there was one specific sequence that happens between two characters where they bring up getting paid for an act where you don't even know which side it's hurting. But as long as you got right. paid, it didn't matter to them. And I was like, okay, you were telling me this is a fictional island. It's a very Irish movie. There's a lot of Irish history. There's a civil war going on. It's the 1920s. And you have two friends who, like the Irish, were fighting amongst each other instead of tackling the things that they should have. And I was like, all right, there's a lot more to this. All I had to do was listen to one little interview. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. I love movies that are able to take what is one area, one location, and have it be representative of a whole. How everyone in this town, and especially these two friends, uh, indicate a history of Ireland, and especially... uh, the back and forth between um, the powers that be there that I thought I was like, Oh, okay. I, the more I know about Irish history, the more I'm going to be able to understand this song that's playing in the background. I stay for the credits and I realize, mm-hmm. Oh, this is an oldie. I wonder what this represented during what wartime, the specific sayings that they say to each other. Fact is probably the best way. Fackin. 
<laughs> like he's got one on Marty there because Marty loves his f bombs. <laughs> but in Ireland, they're just, they're just so goofy. Yeah. It, Nothing quite like hearing it out of an Irish accent. Yeah, it, it's elevated. Marty's they sound sure. rated R. Mark Wahlberg when he says them, those are hard R's. Mm-hmm. Here. They sound like the most PG-13 F-words I've ever heard in my life. They're so funny. It's some Nickelodeon slime yeah. time live way of delivering those lines. But uh, no, everyone just mm-hmm. delivers there. I just, I need to revisit it again. Again, I didn't hate it in any way, shape, or yeah. form. I just wanted to be as enamored uh, with it as you were. And there were points where it did get me. And my mind started going like, why is he doing this? And your mind starts trying mm-hmm. to justify it, make sense of it. Um, and it's specifically in those scenes when he visits the priest that I was just like, what what is this indicative of as an artist as as a friend what does it mean to be nice do we really matter if we're not here for mm-hmm. centuries and i don't know i think the way that the movie plays out with it uh i think left me with a lot more that i wanted to discuss rather than the jokes that i want to revisit from his previous films and i think that's the only reason i'm separating uh psychopaths and in bruges to the conversations being had here yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear you, even though I think that ultimately I, I put this above any other film he's made before. Uh, there's just so much that I, I appreciate about the, whether it's the cadence between the characters, you know, I think you can hear some of his, like, stage writing influence in mm. just the the repetition of lines and the kind of, like, almost Greek chorus nature of all the different people on the island. I don't know. Th- there's a lot that I really love about it, and it's also that element that you're talking about of how it does start with this simple thing where it's like these are two guys and they don't like they, they're figuring out this uh rift between them but then there is all this other stuff like with whether it's reflecting the whole idea of like this is how uh, this is how we get led to wars and stuff like that and how people uh, destroy one another rather than working out their differences or even just like the existential nature of how to live a life. I, I love not only how funny this was, but how much it made me kind of think and, and that. think about my own life. And yeah, um, it, to me, this is like a, a excellent, excellent film. One of my favorites of the year. Um, I want to revisit too. Cause like you said, there is a lot more there than just what's lying on the surface. Yeah. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll again, we'll, we got some after credits lined up for, uh, this this one too, and uh, it'll be fun to talk about it, dive a little bit more deeply. We'll get to it. So far, you think you like Armageddon yeah. Time more or Inisherin more? Or Inisherin. Uh, Banshees is, yeah, Banshees, Banshees is going to be yours? higher on my year-end list for sure. Either way, though, uh, in terms of ratings, you'd recommend the Inacuities to go out for both of these, right? Yeah, these are, these are easily contenders for my top 10 of the year, if not nice. like locks to be on it, both of Same. them. I don't know if... Uh, it doesn't sound like they're really competing for your top 10 though uh they may not be competing for my top 10 but i think both are definitely worth watching uh going out to the theaters don't wait at home watch these as uh at least matinees especially as we get closer to the oscar season i think there may be discussions for both of these uh be it in performances because i do think that Mm -hmm. um colin farrell was really good in banshees as well as uh I i think it's too small of a role um but carrie condon as a sister, but who am I saying was too small of a role? <sighs> yeah. Our boy Barry Keown. And we'll get that to the spoilers because I don't, I don't want to discuss anything Barry until we get to spoilers. Right. Uh, in Armageddon time, though, everyone was great. Kid was great. It, it's the boy. It's, it's Pops over here. Uh, where is he at? Jeremy Strong. It says, I love yeah. him. I, I like Dan Hathaway. And she cool. brought a lot of heart in the movie. And I was, like, I was really impressed with mm-hmm. her. But I still think her best performance this year would have been an Emmy role uh, for the, the Apple show, the, the WeWork one. She's good. Mm-hmm. It's Jeremy Strong's. You were right about him. He's he's the best one. He's yeah. he's my performance he, out of this one. 
he disappears. He he is a completely different dude in that movie. It's he, so good. I don't know whose mind of an of an ancestor he went into, right? <laughs> but he let yeah. that just completely take over. He was someone else in that movie. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I would recommend uh, heading out to the theaters for both of these, giving them both junior prices, Banshees of Inisherin as well as Armageddon Time. But there are some movies where Very you don't cool. need to leave the house to. But nonetheless, we may give it a rating, a positive rating yeah. that it should be seen in theaters or maybe seen at home. Let's start with Causeway, a movie that I think you saw at TIFF and you told me, do yeah. not waste money on this. Wait till it is at home. <laughs> um, it is now on Apple TV Plus in case none of you have caught it. It is a new rated R indie drama coming from A24 starring Jennifer Lawrence who practically said, I apologize for passengers <laughs> this past week. She came out and said, look, I took way way too many big movie roles and i think it's gotten to a point where uh people just didn't want to see me in things and i i kind of lost my way and this is her going back trying to figure out a way to become the big actress that she was i think a lot of people knew her from winter's bone leading into that oscar uh buzz that that movie had and then just becoming the massive hunger games x-men like what i i can't even remember what did she not take during that period of time had a baby Mm -hmm. disappeared this is her first movie from her uh, production company I have it written here. It's called Excellent Cadaver. Excellent Cadaver. And the name comes from the Sicilian mafia term for a hit on a major celebrity. So she's got a <laughs> lot of, I don't know, what, whatever she was doing, you know, uh, before making her big return. Um, a lot of it is being put into production. I always like seeing actors come back to be able to, you know, harness the power that they can bring into a production, especially with being a producer. Uh, a fun fact about her production company, the animated logo at the beginning is Don Hertzfeld. I was going to bring this up. I'm glad you did. That's fire, bro. Uh, I thought that was <laughs> yeah, really cool. It's so, so good. Yeah, she's being, if she's able to get creatives together, that's really the most important part about a production company. You can have a bad production company, a good production company, or a production company that's just made for an actor's ego. And so far... I mean, it's the only movie she's got. But I will say, uh, with it being a very simple story of uh, a vet who comes back home who is still suffering from a lot of the pain and PTSD um, and just trying to fit in, I liked it, bro. I think I know they're completely different movies, but I feel like the energy you were getting from showing up, completely different movies, but that slow pace I got here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've been somewhat surprised to see just about universally positive reactions to this one, given how restrained and kind of quiet the movie is yes. to me. There's like, it, it's just not that deep in terms of what it, it's getting into, but I, I think it's really well portrayed and I, I don't know, like uh, maybe I'm being a little bit too, uh, I don't know, harsh on, on the depiction of the, you know, like you said, PTSD and trauma, but uh, I I will give it to Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry, who are both extremely good in these roles. I Very think Brian good. Tyree Henry in particular, uh, really given more to work with here than he is in most films, is able to like uh, really bring so much pathos and, and hurt to his role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the kind of... Uh, part that I think is deepened by giving by giving it to a guy like him. So I, I don't know. I am giving a lot of the credit for this movie to those performances, and uh, maybe maybe I'm I'm overlooking what's going on with the story a little because I've I've seen a lot of positive reactions, but I still just I found it to be a little light in, yeah. in the end. I don't think this is one that I'm going to be thinking about months from now. And that's fair. It's not one of those where I'm going to try to argue to change your opinion because I see exactly where you're coming from when you saw it. Very simple. Uh, 
it just worked for me a little bit more than uh, I, I was expecting it to. But I think it's because I like her in those somber roles. That's why I had my whole intro be yeah. like her perspective going into this was she was done with the big Hollywood machine. She was tired of it. Um, and that's something we're going to end up bringing up in a little bit about uh, another big actress. But seeing her be able to um, get back into the indie space, I really enjoyed it. These are the types of roles yeah. I want to see her in more. Uh, and it really worked for me. I agree and, 100%. Yeah. I would give this one. I'd when, when say, I go ahead. No, I was just gonna say when I caught it at TIFF, uh, I it reminded me of her part in Winter's Bone, uh, which is like still probably my yeah. favorite performance of hers. Because of that, it just edges it out for me to recommend it to leave the house and go to the theater again as like a junior price, a very early matinee, five dollar Tuesdays. But <laughs> if anything, it's at home, and I don't think there's a better way to catch it. Uh, than on Apple TV Plus. I don't think you would recommend people to leave the house. I think you're recommending people to stay at home. No. Stay at home. Yeah, I mean, it's it's perfectly worthwhile as like a streaming pick. Um, I didn't think it was bad by any means. So, yeah. you know, hopefully you respond more positively than I did. But yeah, I don't yeah. think you need to rush out to the theater for this one. Right. Causeway on Apple TV Plus. Over on Prime was one that you did see in the theater as well, right? A TIFF? I did. Another um, TIFF screening. Another one that I caught at home, so I don't know if that may be the thing that's ca- like the, the my love with my couch and me being there in a more comfortable place. That could be doing it, but a movie's <laughs> a movie, right? And it, it should deliver. This is the yeah. second, and he's still not a star. Harry Styles' performance of the year. The other one being "Don't Worry, Darling," which is coming to HBO yep. Max this. Friday already, reportedly, allegedly, supposedly. Uh, but this one is on Prime. My Policeman had a couple of weeks in theaters. It played at a couple of festivals. It is based off of a book, and it is on Amazon Prime right now. And it wasn't bad. I need to read the it's, book. But it's okay. Fine. I, I think what, what people go into a movie with Harry Styles for is to critique nothing else but the performance, right? It's like you're going there. And you don't care that everybody else is doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, that the story doesn't do anything wrong. It's by the beat like a lot of other romance mm. book adaptations. You don't think so? I, I wasn't into as into the story, but but finish your thing. I think it's it's by the numbers for the most part. Yeah. People are coming into it because it's Harry Styles and we're over critiquing Harry Styles. I think Harry Styles isn't the greatest actor. I think he's below par are like B-level actors or whatever you would call the average person who comes on set. Um, But I Mm -hmm. think we care to critique him a little bit more because it's Harry Styles and no one cares about your critique of another actor in this movie. They only care about your critique of what you can say for Harry Styles. And he still does not have the yelling thing. I don't think he's a yeller. I could be wrong and we could give a huge expose on Harry, but I don't think he's a yeller. So every time they try to act him and and direct him to yell, I just, I feel like he's going to blow a vocal cord Mm -hmm. or something. I still don't buy that there. Um, But yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind this this much. I, I would not say leave the theater for it unless you're a Harry Styles fan. But I think like mm-hmm. as a rental, specifically with you know the one movie a month that you get on Amazon Prime, I I think it fills the void for the one film. Yeah, I I was not really feeling this one um, when I when I saw it. I just feel like there are all sorts of tragic gay romance films out there that have a lot more depth of character and personality and For sure. where maybe you feel like a little more chemistry between the the leads um i just i feel like this was very um i don't know j- just very like 
ultimately uh, undynamic is, I guess, the the word I would try to... You didn't feel to, their love. You didn't feel emotions n- not, I didn't feel like their personhood, let alone their love. <laughs> you know, I feel like you, you have to have an idea of, like, who who they are to care about them. And I didn't. Um, That's fair. Ultimately. I mean, it's fine as a tragic m- melodrama, but, like, I guess it's not even the most tragic, but, like, I don't know. Uh, it, it just didn't work for me and uh his performance didn't really add to that either although he's like as we were sort of talking about off uh off stream he's not the lead of this movie he's not and it makes a lot of people yeah think he is but yeah he's really not and i think because of that they're aware of what the marketing needs to be for a movie like this say it's harry and have people come in and that's what it's been for a lot of it i don't know if you heard about this i want to toss this one to you you heard about how they abuse harry's mailing list these are both rated R movies because I think <laughs> to don't promote worry, those this? Rated R. Huh? What, to promote this? They used that mailing list for Don't Worry Darling, and because it was a rated R movie that said all the things that it wasn't, and obviously all the things that aren't for under 18, they were like mm-hmm. starting a lawsuit because they were pushing Don't Worry Darling on the kids by using his <laughs> mailing list to get people to go buy tickets, and they're like, you can't be doing mm-hmm. that because you're promoting content to accounts that you know are younger. But for my policemen, they didn't oh. do anything. So then the flip was that they were upset that for the gay movie they weren't doing it. <laughs> so they were like, wait, go break the law like you were supposed to. But it has just been a right. mess behind the scenes at the Harry Styles camp. But uh, he seems to be okay and having fun. So yeah, I'm sure we'll see a lot more. Maybe one day we'll get Water off his back. Yeah. It reminds me of a BBC movie. I guess that's why I just already came with the approach that it was just like a, I don't know, TV drama or whatever. But mm-hmm. My Policeman, if you're curious, I don't think either of us recommend leaving the house for it. But maybe... Maybe you might be able to take your Roku, take it to a big theater, and ask them to pay to play Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Um, where'd you catch this? Uh, I caught that at home, Roku. Okay. How did you catch it? Uh, on the Roku channel, not with a Roku device. Interesting. Was it on your TV? Yeah. I don't have the Roku channel on my TV. No? Or the Apple TV. Or any of that. So I had to do, like, I had to get through my computer off of the browser a- to connect the, the HDMI. thing to the HDMI. It was uh. way, too, way too much. But that's what happens with all of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we were saying that happens with mm-hmm. Roku and the different uh, devices and services that fight with each yeah. other. But nonetheless... It's the one time that having a Samsung smart TV has paid <laughs> off for me. I could be because my LG, I guess, for whatever reason, decided, no, we got beef with Roku. They had beef with HBO, yeah. so I guess that makes sense. But I did get the chance to watch it, and everybody could watch this for free. There is no logging in. Nothing. This thing just plays. Mm-hmm. Might even play with ads, so I'm not complaining. Weird. The Al Yankovic story takes Weird Al Yankovic, his story, and does a fascinating thing as a biopic because it is a biopic that's not really a biopic for one he's in it he plays like his record producer yeah. himself uh daniel radcliffe doesn't really sing any of the songs to me it is jarring uh when they cut to him performing and setting up a song and then he's singing and i'm like bro this is just regular weird al and, and it's not yeah. weird al's recording at that age you know it's weird al now recording that much older <laughs> to fit the scene i don't know i just it, it it really stood out for me um yeah but it's funny and i think 
uh, it's funny throughout. I heard some people saying that the second half isn't as funny as the first half. I think the second half just mm-hmm. decides to do something completely different and says, this biopic yeah. that you thought you were on, we're going to take it on a right turn. We're going to like Tarantino it almost to a degree. Um, and I appreciated that. And I thought that the humor that they're carrying uh, at the beginning of the movie stays throughout. And it was fun to see the little cameos. Um be it at pool parties or just different characters who came in. Yeah. That, that kept, it kept it lighthearted for the most part. Yeah, something interesting about that, I was reading in an interview uh, with, again, I was fascinated, so I talked to, I, I was li- reading up on the Roku executives. Uh, they made the decision to ultimately film this uh, movie in Los Angeles rather than filming in Canada, which a lot of movies do to film a little bit more cheaply. And one of the reasons they decided that is they realized it would be much easier to get people to do cameos if it was in LA and local. So that definitely is one of the things that played to this movie's benefit in the wow. end. Wow. That's a good fun fact. Interesting. Okay. Cause they, there are scenes where it's literally just a bunch of celebrities for what? 10 seconds yeah. uh, in makeup yeah. doing a bit. Uh, it is a movie that feels like a very long sketch sometimes. Like it's not, you're mm-hmm. not like getting into scenes and you could tell like they just like Definitely. cleaned up somebody really quickly. <laughs> it's like sketch level makeup and production. Yeah. That's it definitely feels like a funny or die movie. Funny enough, I searched up the director to find out that mm-hmm. they themselves did a funny or die sketch 10 years ago. <laughs> and it was hmm. already titled. Hopefully it appears right here. It was already titled The Weird Al Whatever Thing. And they actually had somebody playing Weird Al. And it was uh, also for Funny or Die. I'm not exactly sure if it's going to pop up here. But uh, that may still be online. I wasn't able to find it. 2010. That's exactly when it happened. A fictional biographical film that parodies Weird Al. It's only three minutes long, Zach. And Weird Al is played by Aaron Paul. (laughs) The same director Uh, is able to take this and make a feature film. That's insane. I think he's in the special thanks for is he? Uh, the feature. Well, yeah, I think I remember seeing that. Was Olivia Wilde? Because uh, she ends up playing Mrs. <laughs> or she plays Madonna in it, uh, which was another part of it too. The whole like Madonna aspect of it, which at that was also kind of funny. Um, but again, oh, those funny. would be all spoilers if you don't know his true story. Uh, I would recommend it. It is like Zach said, a funnier die sketch turned into a feature because it is in fact a funnier <laughs> well, die it's sketch. It's only like extremely lightly based on his life, right? Like yeah. the the whole Madonna romance. Madonna stuff romance is, is not real. No, but it sounds like he's trying to say something about something that may have happened behind the doors in the industry. Um, <laughs> the the beat it storyline. You know, it's one of those movies where I'm curious, the more you know about Weird Al Yankovic, the better, does that mean the movie will be better? And the less that you know about him, will you be sitting there going like, why is Coolio giving him a look? And you don't know the entire thing about how Coolio like hated him, rest in peace. But Mm -hmm. like there was that whole animosity that happened. Um, I still think it was funny enough the way that he was able to come up with the songs. Corny, very corny when, I don't know, he tries to act like a rock star off of parodies but uh i listened yeah. to a lot of weird out growing up so i appreciated the movie its humor and yeah. uh at only 90 minutes and for free online i don't think you could beat it yeah i mean it's it's very bizarre very absurd and very intentionally so um you know it's taking that sort of traditional musician biopic formula and just like cranking the parody dial up to 100 because you know it's way beyond films like Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story with John C. Riley, or or even Pop Star Never Stop Popping, uh, or is it Blue? Uh, 
but like, yeah, those films I love. I don't think this film gets really anywhere near those on a no. comedic level. It's it's definitely like entertaining, and I I laughed plenty of times. But there's a couple times where the movie will just take these dramatic right uh, right hand turns or left hand turns. I don't know, and. And it's a little just like being around somebody who you're like, all right, cal- calm down. Chill. We we don't we don't have to talk so loudly. Let's just <laughs> let's have a conversation. Uh, it's just it's very extra. Is that is that the word that yeah. we should use? You brought up the but, Dewey Cox story, and I think that's one where every time we get a biopic, people are like, mm, I'm gonna get my Dewey Cox to do list here and see what it <laughs> broke from here. And this movie feels like it took that list and went, okay, what will you call us out on? I'm gonna double in on that before you call me out right. with the dewey cox rule i'm gonna say it 10 times louder than what it is so yeah i mean it's it's bizarre and fun uh radcliffe is particularly good in it i really loved uh evan rachel wood as madonna uh i thought she was very funny i didn't realize in um, the interview i don't know why i don't know how she does it. she <laughs> makes her look look she She's makes herself look 10 years younger in random roles yeah. and i'm like i don't know how you do this uh, would yeah. you recommend uh, people leave the house? I don't know if you can. I think it's exclusively on Roku oh, exclusive? after its festival run. Damn. Yeah. yeah. But uh, even even if you could, I don't know if I would. It, yeah. It's like a a solid streaming uh, choice. Like unless you're going to see it in a packed theater where you're going to have people laughing all around you, yeah. and that you know elevates it for sure because it's a comedy. Yeah, it's going to be fine to watch at home. If it was a special screening where they actually gave you like the wigs and everybody took a picture with the Weird Al right. wigs or something like that, that would be worth Wine leaving shirts. the house for. But you're right. It's perfect. Get a six pack, drink at home if the humor suits you. And hopefully, you know, some of his backstory uh, It's pretty decent. Over on Roku. Yeah. Our Antonio. Uh, in... <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Antonio asked us uh, our favorite cameo. <sighs> so there is one. There is a Wolfman cameo. I won't say who. I don't want to say who it is because I think that's more of a spoiler than the cameo itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's in the pool party cameo. And it, the Wolfman was funny, but there is a blonde artist. That's all I'll say. And who plays him, I thought, was just really funny that they got him. And he just goes mm-hmm. there just to, like, grumble. That's it. Very famous artist. <laughs> that's all I'll say. You? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, I mean, there's so many random ones that I, I I'm hated just the focusing on, the like, the... <laughs> uh and he shows up a little bit later too. Yes. Um yeah. That that was random. Um I don't know. Like I'm my mind is just drifting to like people that I like and not necessarily parts that I liked. Like I liked seeing uh Jack Black and and uh uh Patton Oswalt and he, stuff he like that. He's been doing but, a lot of press for it. Yeah, oh that you know what that's that's the that's right choice right there. Pat was, was also really in fun. the uh, original short, so I think he's like one of the very few ah. who made it over. Nice, Maybe Paul nice. Shear was in this, but I don't know. So, yeah. I'm curious to see what other people's cameos were uh, or what other movies they would recommend on Roku. I don't know if there's other Roku originals. Maybe maybe one of the Quibi ones popped and we just never gave it the, the time of day, but it will not be the first I like Roku. Reno 911. Is it decent? Yeah, it's it's always been decently funny, Tom uh, Lennon. Oh, Tom Lennon was also very funny and weird. Another uh, Roku connection. Right. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, moving on to the next one that we have. This is technically a, theat- a theatrical pick because it has the Dolby. It has the IMAXs. It has all the big screens out there. It is the One Piece film Red. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah. I went to One Piece on IMDb, bro. 
and I'm like, yeah. Oh shoot. I'm like, let me see how much I need to catch up on. Uh, hold on. I suppose you <laughs> can hear if you want to catch up on your thoughts on one red, but I don't think either of us have <laughs> ever seen it. Yeah, um, I've never seen an episode of One Piece. I don't think you have either. I mean, we. I think a long debate between us and the inner cuties has been them trying to get us to watch more anime and us uh, politely but repeatedly saying no. Um, occasionally, we, we, we dip a toe in, but it's just not... It, there's so much in that genre to try and tackle, and I don't feel prepared to... To, to enter, because uh, then you dive into a whole world of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I know One Piece has been uh, fairly popular, um, at least among the anime community. And we're seeing more of these film events make their way up the uh, box office uh it, uh, you know, like numbers or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the One Piece film Red uh, movie came in at second place this weekend at the box office after Black Adam, almost $10 million. So, uh, you know, the anim the animated film market is definitely a lot healthier than I think a lot of studios tend to give it credit for. If you have um, an anime convention, this one, they'll probably come out to theaters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly, right? Like, that. That there is a healthy anime-loving community, and if you give them the opportunity to show up to something in theaters, I think they'll they'll take it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, so yeah, uh, having not really seen any one piece, I feel like that, that really affects your ability to enjoy a movie like one piece red, uh, which is so, uh, throws you right in to the middle of the action, uh, with all your favorite characters, your favorite characters, your favorite not character. my favorite characters, but your favorite characters, uh, Luffy, right? Yeah, L Luffy guys, that right? One pirate guy. Um, <laughs> and uh, honestly, for me, it was just such a like overwhelming uh, experience of like a sensory overload. Because not only are there you know a hundred characters being introduced to you in the first fifteen minutes, some of them are skeletons, some of them are talking bears, some of them I guess are human, although they can do weird non-human things. Uh, but beyond that, it's just so visually. Uh, overwhelming there's uh, with the colors and all the different backgrounds and uh, uh you know beautiful uh animation for sure but just way more than my brain is ready to process as somebody who's still trying to figure out who luffy is and what he's doing yeah. um so i don't know i just coming in cold to one piece film red I wouldn't recommend it. I think you, maybe you should go back and watch the show, but I'm not going to do that either. So yeah, I tried uh, to, man. Did you have a better experience? Look, I went back. I'm like, let me check out this show. No, what is it? What it? Zach, what are you? <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> no one's doing this. <laughs> it's too tough, man. So, uh, yeah, going into the movie Blink, which I'm also kind of a fan of, just to see, like, how does the movie hold up for someone who hasn't seen what would be decades worth of content, be it in different mediums. Right. And uh, it, it's interesting. I don't think it's up there with like the other ones that a lot of people are recommending. And this is definitely one. I see Connor talking about the manga still 1,100 chapters in and going strong. Yeah, I think you're going to be <laughs> relying on a lot of the backstory. But uh, from what I got out of it, being a newbie was, um, hey, that's the guy in the shirt that a lot of people who I've met wear. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen, I've definitely seen Luffy before. I've seen that person. Um, 
and just getting a little bit of the backstory about how people the the community kind of like blames the military and then half of them no they blame the pirates and it's like well no there's no other way the pirates mm-hmm. kind of need to get through it i was like interesting so this is what it's about um uh we have the link still available so i might watch it again just to make like a newbie video and tell me about like my first time watching one piece but um i don't think it'll get me into the show but yeah y'all inner cuties can continue recommending us an anime and maybe one day we'll finally jump in you just gotta understand the moment it's, maybe it's a drug bro it's a gateway the moment you jump in they might not be coming back i know i had friends they started watching anime I, that's I, it they don't do anything else they don't watch movies <laughs> the film festivals are gonna be gone it's gonna be anime I don't have the time to develop another no unhealthy th- habit. Physically, no. And time. I know I've got an addictive personality, so I can't. I can't start. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think what? I think we're both um, okay on it. Did, was there anything that you did take away from it that you enjoyed, other than like recognizing? I mean, uh, I guess you mentioned the background and stuff like that, but just the the characters i did not know the characters like i only know the voices that like weirdos right. do about the characters <laughs> you know uh it, it was good seeing the the images of these characters without the body odor that usually comes with them when others are discussing them around <laughs> you um but one piece film it, it was okay again i can't judge it too much but yeah. uh just re-watching it just to do like a newbie video would be the only reason that i would get into it but how's your spill situation over there bro i spilled everywhere man it was the anime gods that did not want me to i spilled on so i just got i I just got new tech too so i got like the little trackpad you know instead of the mouse oh all over it so i hope it's waterproof but we'll see oh no i'm hoping uh all my tech's caffeinated though i could tell you that much but um it'll be ready to go it should be ready but back to the one piece stuff um if you did catch it in theaters because it's playing in imax it's playing in dolby i'm curious to know your experience about it Totally. Because we know a bunch of people watching uh, this on Crunchyroll on some like <laughs> <laughs> funky site after phones too with yeah. a crazy dub. So to finally see it properly in a theater mm-hmm. must be like, like I had a barber. He watched all of Dragon Ball Z in 480p. All of it. Off of a bunk phone with like not even real subtitles. And I'm like, you've been watching this since Dragon Ball? And they're like, they're <laughs> past Z right now. I'm like, dude. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, anime fans are are dedicated. Uh, That's another cool thing we didn't mention that when they sent us the screener, they sent us a subbed and a dubbed version. That was pretty cool. Yeah, we got to choose. And the moment you click dub, it just calls you a loser for like five minutes consecutively (laughs) and you have to go press it. Yeah, it's a lot shorter. So they say I didn't click it, Zach. Uh, But that is one piece. We got two more things. One of them Zach didn't really catch because we're getting... Uh, other links being sent our way really quick. I'm totally fine. A nice little uh, dramedy out there about two friends who've made it. They're about to sell their big business. One of them passes. But not fully because it turns out that that friend is still there. She's just been abducted by an alien who's here to do research. And um, it's a very contrived way to say that the alien plotline doesn't really mean anything. It's just a, 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 a way to have a heartfelt story between two friends who need to reconnect after one's passing. Mm. Um, again, cool. there's a lot of heart from them too. Their jokes are funny. Not a perfect movie in the in the sense of like, <laughs> why even go about it this way? You're an alien. What's the backstory to your alien? It's a contrived way to just have this uh, this scenario with two friends. It kind of reminds me, there was that one movie. I like this other movie a lot more. But the one with the uh, couples who really liked each other. And it was, what's his name from The Soup? From Community? And he was oh, in a relationship. Oh, uh, Joel McHale. Joel McHale. He's in a relationship. And it's going so well that all the friends hate them. And that's another movie that yeah. does a contrived oh, thing to get everybody in one Airbnb. It's happily? 
happily just so they can vent. That's another yeah. movie where I admit that it, it just tries to get you to a place. But I really like how effective that is. This one got close to that. You like their friendship. Uh, this is definitely one where when it comes out on streaming, like on Netflix or something, have it on your radar. No need to leave the house for it. The Estate would cool. be another one that we both did catch and wraps up our movies of the week. Uh, because this one is in theaters right now. We were able to get a virtual mm-hmm. link for this. It is going even wider on November 24th. They really want to push this as a Thanksgiving movie for you to leave, to go watch with your whole family. And I'm telling you right yeah. now, really good cast, funny premise. This is a Walmart bargain bin movie. <laughs> yeah. Do not subject your family to this. Uh, the story is is that this entire family has an aunt who is very rich. She's about to go. So everybody's coming in. You got the couple right here, her in the green, with the guy at the back over here from Office Space. They're a couple. These two are sisters, if I'm not mistaken, between uh, Anna Ferris and Tony. Um, yep. And then, uh, bro, I don't know what they had the homie doing from X-Files. He had some out-of-pocket lines <laughs> in this movie that I do not think are even worth. Like, like when you read them on the yeah. script. After the first one, you might give it a pass. No, they gave him like back to back to back borderline like, hey, I'm your nephew, but it sounds like you really want to get it on and I'm trying to get the estate. I'm like, who you read the, Who read this for you yeah. and said this was okay, bro? Um, put an it's, it's, a movie, it's a movie that's so like desperate to seem like offensive and outrageous with its jokes about that's incest and like old men flashing, but like it's also just so like, it feels like it's been done before and it's not clever at all in how it wants to present these things. Like I I wrote in my letterbox review, it's less funny than any random five minute stretch of the, the righteous gemstones. Just like they're the way that they present jokes is sort of as if they've already told you the joke and, and that you should already find it funny. I see, but there's no like set a punchline to it. It just kind of, here's an idea. Isn't it? aren't you laughing yet? Like, and it, it doesn't ever really work. And it's a shame because they've got, like you said, this really awesome cast here, but everybody is so not a character, just sort of like a, an idea in service of the writer's vision for this sort of dark family comedy. And, and none of it, none of it really works. Yeah. If you're not leaving the house because that's not what we're recommending for this movie, you won't even find it at the Walmart bargain bin. This, I would say, <laughs> is that voodoo movie where they like let you mix and match three movies to get for like $11. This is going to be on there. <laughs> right. and you only get it because you're like, hey, I know some of those actors. You don't need to worry about it. Some pro- probably chuckled two times, but yeah, I agree with Antonio right there who's saying too much incest jokes. Incest jokes. No one told this man. The Estate, it is out in theaters. We'll be out. We'll be out at home sometime very soon. Quick yeah, rundown on the docs before we get to long. our shows of the week. Uh, we have one premiere yeah. doc that I would say that came out on Apple TV Plus this weekend. It also premiered at AFI, got pretty good reviews, and I was hoping that it would be akin to a previous documentary that we caught on Apple TV Plus of another artist called Billie Eilish, which I really, really, really loved. I wonder if they'll have the Billie Eilish mm-hmm. doc somewhere here. Uh, they do not, but that Billie doc was one of my favorites of the year. I'm not a fan of the Selena and Chef Max original series that she's got. Uh, girl's got like three seasons. Good for her. Selena and Chef. <laughs> I prefer a story like this. It's not perfect and it's not up there with mm-hmm. the Billie Eilish doc, but it's in its path. This is a movie that is, isn't looking to reflect back at her entire life, but at a turning point in her career, I would say. Specifically, it's not even looking at her as an artist that comes with it. 
it's looking at her mentally. Uh, uh, yeah. The Tony Hawk doc, the Tony Hawk doc recently from South by that's also on HBO did the same thing where he's looking at his th- through his career, but it's because he just physically went through like an injury. So he's kind of uh, going through the physicality of why he does it here. She's going through the like mentality of why she does it. It's in the name, my mind and me, what she was going through when she was young and who she was trying to appease. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of lines dealing with Disney that I found fascinating yeah. to hear her like vent about because the conversation isn't mm-hmm. Disney. She's in a different scenario, but it's it's the um, not the it's trauma, but it's the uh, not being able to control the environment that she was in led her to remember yeah, her, time her lack of agency. That and I found that so like that it was scarier than than hearing the repeated story of what might have happened at Disney. It's just like dang, this is the repercussions of what you're still feeling. Um, Mm-hmm. there are points where it is goofy like it's just her vlogging and she's entering her school like ma'am you in america you can't just be showing up to schools i don't care if you're selena gomez <laughs> she's showing up to like uh, elderly people's houses who she knew when she was young and all i'm picturing is like you're seeing these people it's raw like the guy answers the door and he's like selena selena gomez and they like enter this house <laughs> but i'm also like yeah you were friends with her but like before you became famous like when was the last time you saw these people and you're pulling up at this house with a whole camera crew did you get your shot was it cute? Heartfelt for your documentary? Or a time to go leave or dine? There was weird moments like that as well, where it kind of felt like she's just going in and out of places for no reason. Um, but she's such a big artist. Like, it's 90 minutes, so it's jumping from so many tones and ideas, so she can go back home. But then she also has to, like, escape to Africa because it's the only place where she can have her phone off and it be the excuse of, sorry, I can't turn this on because we're away. But really, the excuse is she doesn't want to be bombarded with being Selena Gomez and reminded of that wherever mm-hmm. she goes on her own phone. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a fascinating uh, sort of look at her career and uh, particularly because I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, she has that Disney star past and she's also like, you know, been this huge pop star and been in a bunch of interesting uh, roles in films and television. We really like her on only murders in the building. Um, but I think, what she went through is in aside from like the highly publicized uh, romantic stuff, her breakup with Justin Bieber, and then also the like also somewhat highly publicized uh, battle with mental health that left her in a mental hospital and dealing with psychosis and uh, bipolar diagnosis. It, it's just interesting because it comes at this time in her life where she really is becoming kind of like this more fully formed adult. And realizing kind of the path that she's chosen or that's been chosen for her in some ways. And to me, the most fascinating element of it was uh, her kind of dealing with the fact that she uh, doesn't really like what she does. But it's the best thing for her to achieve what she wants. Um, And and yeah, um, just the ways in which she she and the people around her try to deal with it. Like I've seen that there's apparently some like criticism of her friend Raquel going around. And I thought it was just really interesting that she has this. Yes. Yeah. We uh, like Raquel. She has this, she has this close friend with her who like tries to remind her of like the privilege that she has being in the position she is. (laughs) 
<laughs> even even if it does like hurt at times too. I don't know. I I feel like friends like Ra- like Raquel are necessary. I get it. she comes off kind of kind of harsh in the doc, but uh, I I I will commend Raquel if no one else will. Um, but yeah, you know, because she is it, she sort of realized like oh what I do doesn't matter as much as helping other people, but yeah. I also I'm in a position where I can help other people. So seeing an artist realize that maybe their passion lies elsewhere and the way that that contributes to her mental state, I thought was interesting. I do feel like there are moments where maybe um, the documentary is more honest than her talking heads, if that makes sense, like Mm -hmm. in the way that they'll use TMZ and paparazzi footage to kind of fill in some blanks in her story rather than have her actually address them or, or like say Justin Bieber's name out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not stuff that I think I, I needed. It's just stuff that I think would have maybe made it a little better and more intimate and more revealing. I agree. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, the way I put it is this is a doc about Selena Gomez, but it's not the doc about Selena Gomez. She still has so much of her life to look back on uh, and when she's going to look at. So, uh, And then, yeah, because there was yeah. a lot of other medical conditions that she was talking about. Lupus, as you highlighted, um, was another one and, and how you have people telling her, like, yeah, this might become something worse. Uh, and then, yeah, just that idea of, like, it's not just her. Ever since she started with Barney, she's had a whole group of people around her who she's had to come up mm-hmm. with. So I think with the, uh, forgetting the friend's name who you had mentioned, that a lot of people have come out Raquel. on. It sucks for her because in a documentary that's only 90 minutes, you only have a certain amount of time, right? So mm-hmm. maybe you didn't see the parts of Raquel, which is why she's there, right? Like she obviously right, doesn't. exactly. But the parts that you do see, it's after a long press tour with Selena. And it's like Raquel doesn't mm-hmm. realize that Raquel don't got a job if it ain't for Selena <laughs> having to do this. And Raquel's telling her, enjoy your job, when one, no one ever said she did it. And two, <laughs> Raquel's ignoring the part where she's got to sit down time after time after time after time after time with a lot of people and i think everyone is excited for the moment they get to interview selena gomez and they don't realize that they're number Mm -hmm. 54 on the freaking day Mm -hmm. um i don't know i thought it was interesting i thought there was more to see that's all i could say for for 90 minutes it was pretty short um so it left me wanting more and i'm curious to see what other stuff she's gonna reflect and thank goodness and like her damn friends documentaries (laughs) where (laughs) where demi sounds like she's making docs just to shout out her friends right and the whole thing's contrived just because like i kind of owe you one on the last last one no and 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 also unlike the demi lovato lovato uh was it dancing in the dark or dancing with the the devil series the youtube original series was it the quibi series (laughs) (laughs) the most recent one whatever what it is it doesn't feel like she's too close to be making this kind of reflective look, right? Like Demi, it felt like her, the things she was talking about were still ongoing. Uh, (laughs) It feels like Selena is like moved to a new chapter, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's reflecting back and what's her name was like setting the story straight. Uh, (laughs) I would recommend this one. And if it was playing in theaters, just like I would have for the, um, Billie Eilish one, uh, more so the Billie, obviously. But I, I would recommend to have seen this one in theaters if you could, because there's some nice shots, some nice edits. Uh, maybe would have been fun to see with the crowd, but highly recommend it at home on Apple TV+. Plus. Going. Through- what do you think Selena Gomez fans call themselves? So I know her nickname is Sal, right? Because mm-hmm. I've met some acquaintances, and they're like, oh, yeah, Sal was here the other day. I'm like... Sal? That's what Sal. Okay, Sal. Sorry, Sal. All right. Um, I don't know. Didn't realize you're on such a the close Sal's. basis with her, but okay. like that. 
Uh, it was actually people the, who were the really salinators. close to her. The God, no. <laughs> I'd rather be the Gomez's than something else. But <laughs> some of the other docs that came out this weekend to go by them really quickly was the Sundance uh, selection, Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is playing in some theaters yes. and should be going I, on some streaming service. I'm not exactly sure which one. Zach, you like this one? Yeah, I liked it fine. It's an interesting look at uh, the New York rock scene in the 2000s with uh, focus on bands like The Strokes, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, uh, LCD Sound System, a uh, bunch of my favorite bands from growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the documentary does a pretty interesting job of sort of contextualizing um, the way that all these bands were kind of hovering around each other and sometimes colliding and uh, ending up uh, by by playing in certain venues. Those venues would also become kind of the hot spots. Um, and just to see that the way that both New York grew around the rock scene at the time and the rock scene grew into New York at that time and place, you know, especially with the way that it moved around the city as real estate prices changed and 9-11 happened, which moved a lot of people out of lower Manhattan and stuff like that. So um, it's it's a fascinating document, not just of like a piece of music history, but a, a piece of history of like the United States or at least New York City. Um, it's not ultimately as deep of a dive as I'd like into no, most of this stuff because short. yeah, it's, it kind of, this should have maybe been a mini series rather than a documentary. Cause it, you know, I, I mentioned a few bands at the top and also this stuff that d- dives into New York. There's more v- bands that they profile in this film. And because you're dividing time in so many ways, you don't necessarily go as deep as you'd like to on, on any of them. Uh, when we went to Sundance and drove out there, I was actually listening to this book on tape and you know, it's funny. You see exact phrases lifted from the book into the movie, but they're not surrounded by nearly as much context as they are in the book. So if you actually really, really care about this era of, of music or of history, absolutely pick up the Lizzie Goodman book. If you haven't already, I mean, it's, it's a classic well before um, I gave it the recommendation, but um, I still would give a light recommendation to meet me in the bathroom. If only because it's like, there is interesting stuff there. It's just not, um, it's it's a more of an appetizer, more of an appetizer, and less of an entree. Not complete. Well, hopefully, they make it into a miniseries if the content's already there in the book. Um, yeah, exactly. So some of the other ones would be Counter Girls, also from Sundance. I think we both gave it a <laughs> recommendation. Good for them. It's elderly uh, women who yeah. still want to be uh, Calendar Girls. It's out there. Check it out if you are interested. Do you remember? Do you remember that movie that was about like the chorus of elderly people from a few years back? That was kind of like a hot documentary. Um, chorus? They sang Fix You at the end of the movie. Kind of. It sounds very familiar. Young at Heart? It, is that what it is? It could be Young at Heart. I'm confusing it with the one that happened in Florida and one of us met the directors. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about um, the the one that was at the Villages. They were in the Villages, um, yeah. Shoot. Yeah, no, but this this one, Calendar Girls, reminded me a little more of Young at Heart. Gotcha. Okay, Young at Heart sounds familiar, but I feel like I'm picturing an actual movie, not a doc, where they were teaching them how to <laughs> do a chorus. I'm not sure, but either way, if you've seen Calendar Girls or if you've seen the movies that we're talking about, let us know yeah. down below. Uh, another one that came out was a three-part series called Killer Sally. The first part, you got this family of bodybuilders, really a couple. They end up getting married. They end up having kids. And then by the end of one, she shoots them. And by two, you're wondering, what had happened here? Was it the roids? Was it all the competitions? 
Was she just as bad as him, though? Crazy little series over on Netflix. You know how they love to uh, contrive people's stories, but it's about a couple of bodybuilders that may have gone a little too far. Uh, pretty interesting mm. story. The Automat is another one that I had on my radar for a little bit, but I wasn't going to go to the theaters to go see a movie about a vending machine. Uh, it's a little dark, <laughs> an hour, 19 minutes. It's on HBO Max right now, and it's about an, oh, I don't know if you ever went to these, Zach, the Automats in New York where everything would come no. out in a spinning thing. It, it's a little bit different than a vending machine. You put a nickel in, you get coffee, you get a pie, whatever else. They got Mel Brooks and mm-hmm. a lot of people in here as talking heads talking yeah. about their old times, and you also have them sitting there going, why are you making a documentary about this? Where is this going to play? <laughs> so it is on HBO. I wouldn't recommend this in any other capacity other than it cool. being a weird but amusing little doc about an old restaurant known as the Automat about vending machines. Uh, that would be all of the movie releases for this week. The final thing that we have before talking about the new 2C is really the only big TV series that we had out. There's a bunch of stuff that is wrapping. I guess this is taking me straight to my own Netflix. Let's see. Yeah. It just starts playing. We just there start streaming go. it live right now. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to let this play like that. Uh, but the Bloodbuster <laughs> series, something that I kind of <laughs> kind of a little excited for. If you yeah. know, Netflix obviously beat out Bloodbuster in real life. Netflix then had the Bloodbuster doc called The Last Bloodbuster that they were able to pick up during the pandemic. Kind of weird because, you know, they're kind of to blame to it to a degree. They then get the Bloodbuster TV series. I don't know, man. It Part of it <laughs> feels like a backhanded compliment, a backhanded kind of flex that Netflix is doing. Mm-hmm. On the second part, there's a lot of heart that they could put into this, and it's not that hard to do a show that's about community and people coming together and is a sitcom, and you have, what, a whole slew of cast that you've had on Netflix, so you know what jokes... Are. Like, algorithmically, this should be the easiest put-together show. And mm-hmm. it feels algorithmically put together. It feels like you took yeah. 10 different sitcoms figured what the most effective ratio of the funniest character is there and then forgot that they only work in the context of that sitcom mm-hmm. and that audience decided let's just shove them all in together everyone is just one bit hi i'm the manager who got divorced and I'm trying to be with somebody hi i'm the character mm-hmm. who went to harvard and uh, wants to be somebody hi i'm the other guy's daughter you saw some of it right i yeah i watched the first three and then I kind of had the rest of the series on in the background because I, I feel like I made my decision on whether or not yeah. this was a show for me. What's this kid um, right here from American, American Vandal. What, what's him? What's where is two Oh, he's the cinephile. So he, so of course he cares about great horror movies like Dracula from 1979 and the slender man and yeah. scary movie too. Like that's, that's another thing <laughs> is that I, I, I feel like they sort of, wrote for this idea hoping that like, oh, this is a show about people who love movies. So we have to show our love for movies, but like clearly they don't love movies that much because like they're, I, they spend most of the time either making fun of bad movies or just doing weird references to extremely popular ones. Yes. Like it, it's just like not it, for, for the type of humor it's going for. It's extreme. Like, I don't think it's going to work for people who don't care about movies and for people who care about movies. It's going to work less. We know they're wrong. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, it's very it's very sitcom, it is. like network sitcom level humor. And I forgot how much I don't like network sitcoms for the most part because it's so broad and so like it's so like ham fisted in its approach. They Everybody's trying so hard to like 
say, oh, that's just like, and then weird pop culture reference. And uh, it, the characters are just not written in a way that feels like it works. Uh, Olga Meredes in, in particular, nah, they did you know, dirty. amazing in, in the Heights. Like we know she's a very talented actress. I, I don't think anybody who wrote her lines has spoken to an elderly woman before, before, you know, like they're, they're writing her like she's some wise cracking teenager or something, but who also is a homebody. I, I, it's like quite possibly the worst every, written character that they've had on Netflix in a minute. And you are right. Yeah. It hurts more because we like her. The whole sitcom. Yeah. Hurts more because this is Netflix post the blockbuster era. You know how to not fall into that. Randall Park has made jokes for Marvel series where he knows how to get ahead of the cringe. My man is drowning it in it in here. I don't know what to do. There was a movie that came out at TIFF called I Like Movies. They also shouted out the mm-hmm. producers from the last Blockbuster series who are also producers on this. Um, hmm. I would recommend what we had brought up at Sundance as a more authentic, cringe in the right way possible. Right perspective of this i'm very disappointed with it man i my my joke to you was yeah gladly we don't have blockbusters and i don't have to go rent it there because if you remember back in the day the seasons would come in different dvds the episodes for one season would come in dvds yeah i would have never gone back to finish the other part and i'm still like technically no. two episodes to finish it but hey yeah watch the doc if you haven't wait for this movie yeah i like movies if you haven't very similar they didn't get the blockbuster name for this mm-hmm. though and i think Honestly, I think that helps more. It looked ugly, bro. I don't know why I had a problem with this. Why they got like the Blockbuster logo on both their nipples? Like, shouldn't it just be on one? <laughs> yeah, shouldn't that just be the title of the series? Is like yeah. the Blockbuster uh, logo or something? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it it all doesn't really work. I also kind of feel like maybe the premise of they are the last Blockbuster doesn't works better for like a a broad sitcom, but the blockbuster that we all love and remember and have nostalgia for is one from before the streaming age. I'm surprised they didn't just make this a period piece. Right. They should. Well, and again, another reason why I like movies works so much better. Um, yeah, I will leave you with one little Easter egg. I don't know if you noticed there was one, uh, blank on her name from Brooklyn nine one one where she actually sure. opens up a copy of Brooklyn nine, Brooklyn nine, nine. Oh yeah. Well, that's, it would make sense because all because it's produced by NBC Universal and all of the DVDs in the store are or also NBC Universal, Universal <laughs> they DVDs. Just can't keep the you know, like, yeah, it's one of those shows that has like ten jokes every minute, but most of them are bad. I will give them credit that I did laugh when somebody said you live with roommates, and Randall Park's response was roommate. Greg is still missing, <laughs> and you wish that they would focus more on those jokes. <laughs> Then the other, yes. one, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe if it gets continue, if it gets picked up for a second season, they can find their groove because it's not bad actors. Maybe. They've all been really funny in yeah. their respective. We love the cast. Thanks. That's another reason why we came to it. But so far, yeah. at least for the season one, it's a binge in the background for me. But other than yeah. that, yeah. Zach, if you want to shout out the Indicuities before we get to our final segment, which is the picks for Let's- the week. Do it. Let's thank those awesome Inner Cutie Plus patrons, the wonderful people supporting the show. They are Rone, Ewan, Julieta, Garrett, Tim, Elizabeth, Josh, Ashley, Michael, D.A., Matt, and Mr. Kobayashi. The family grows bigger every week. And we've also got our Academy-level members. They are Tushar, Marion, Cademan, Connor, Pete, Sean, May, 
Ricky, and What's Matter. And of course, a super big thanks to the producer level patrons. They are awkward and you denvere thanks again for all the support and a reminder that you too can become a member at patreon.com slash intercut pod where you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to intercut episode outlines access to private channels on the intercut discord occasionally we'll drop episodes early there and you also get an invitation to our monthly patron google meetings where you can chat with art and i about the latest in TV, streaming, movies, whatever. Art, what are we going to talk about on the next stream? We have to figure out when, when our next Hangout is. We're trying to do it right before the week of Thanksgiving. And this time I, yeah. I want to have a different bracket. Maybe something now that we're getting towards the end of the year. To have November and December kind of be a look back on uh, the movies of 2022. Mm-hmm. It's been Best one of hell of a year. We could do blockbusters. We could do indies. And then just, just face it out there. We had some spooky ones. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, we always get stuck with the with the with the scary ones because we're like, which franchises do we keep in? Do we keep it at horror monsters? And then yeah, it ends up we never end up doing the bracket because it ends up just being the discussions on who should be on the bracket. Right, exactly. It's too and hard. Sometimes to those are those are even more fun to have. All right, uh, let's get into our picks for the week. Let's do we? it. Yeah. All right. So looking ahead to the weekend, uh, some of my picks are in theaters, but I got some stuff on streaming for y'all as well. Uh, We talked about it a little bit earlier. We're probably going to do an after credits on it shortly, but Armageddon time, I think a fascinating new film from James Gray and a uh, really interesting, unique coming of age story. To me, this is one of the movies of the year. I also just feel like there are certain elements of it that speak to Judaism that kind of honestly, uh, Uh, hit me a little bit so maybe there's a little bit of personal element going on as well I still think just in terms of the discussion the movie is trying to have about equity it's just a fascinating piece of work Um, so it's expanding into more theaters I think it's in less than a thousand theaters right now Mm. but it'll be in much more than that this weekend so as Armageddon time expands over the weekend uh, I definitely am recommending people check that out I'd also recommend if it's in a theater near you, uh, checking out one of the Sundance winners from earlier this, uh, this year, the film Midwives. This is a fascinating documentary that we saw that is a uh, kind of over, like on the wall look at a birthing center run in a part uh, uh, I believe this is in part of northern India where the government has basically been uh, neglecting the need for more doctors there and uh, this woman is sort of navigating a t- tense political environment in which uh, I think it's uh, you know there are people who are basically being like cast out uh, yet she's trying to navigate giving uh, birth treatment to people and it's That's you wild. know a, there are some really, really gripping scenes in this film. We we remember when we talked about it, there's just this one scene where uh, the, the head doctor there puts a bunch of the patients in their place. And it's one of those rare documentary moments where you just sort of, you feel like you're seeing something that you shouldn't be seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think this is a just fascinating documentary and definitely one of the best ones that we caught out of Sundance earlier this year. Uh, that being said, uh, I think you've got one on your list that's going to be the biggest m- movie releasing in theaters this weekend. Easily. In theaters is yeah. a little movie that technically we have our screenings tonight. Black 
Panther, yeah. Wakanda Forever. Call it Wakanda Forever, Black Panther 2. Probably the most anticipated movie of the second half of the year, leading up to probably uh, Avatar. I, I think it's just, I think it's yeah. this and Avatar, to be completely honest with you. Um, uh, the soundtrack is out. I've listened to it. I think it's fantastic. It's a beautiful mix of melodies. I love the new Rihanna song. I love the cast. I'm looking out for it the notch tonight. I am very excited to see what he brings to the table. Uh, and just overall, however the movie works, I have varying different people who I look for my uh, Marvel opinions, uh, and it, even especially with Black Panther. Um, and it's been an interesting array of opinions so far. So I am excited to dip into it, have our Dolby screening tonight, mm-hmm. IMAX screening later. But easily, it's probably the biggest uh, release. Two hours, 40 minutes, a lot of story to tell. <laughs> and I feel like this... This is going to be the next important one. I know that you show up to all of them, Zach, because you need to cover them for the podcast. But I know it's been a minute Obviously. since you felt like, oh, this is one where I need to be here for. You know, I don't think you've yeah. had that in a minute. I guess Spider-Man. But Spider-Man was like a different level. Spider-Man, like, like we're not going to see any repercussions of Spider-Man. This feels like the next step to the MCU. The reason why we have to continue showing up to school. This is like right before the exams. This is the one day that you need to be there for. Uh, very excited for it. Um and I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, this one opinion. also, this also just looks more like a real movie than everything most of they said those about Marvel the Eternals. This finally feels like it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm excited. Coogler Coogler hasn't let us down yet, so I, I have faith in him at least as far as this movie goes, and and probably beyond that. If we're being honest, Sounds good. We had a double up one with a series that I know that you're excited for. I'm excited for. We both already got it early, so we started watching it. Hmm. Oh, uh, on Apple TV Plus, Mythic Quest is back for season three. Uh, Rob McElhaney's Apple TV Plus show where he is in charge of a video game company uh, and gets to play a somewhat different character than Mac, although they've shared, they share certain qualities for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the real pleasure in this show, though, is that they've really built out this cast and really spent time with all the characters to the point where now in season three, you're just able to really enjoy all the different pairs that they put together, all the different storylines that they weave. It's just, uh, there's no effort really anymore. They can just kind of mix and match and find new delights in in the ways that they put their characters together, Um, especially the show's at its best when they are able to put all their characters into one room. Uh, There's a particularly funny moment at the end of the first episode when they get news about another character that is just burned into my brain now. It's so funny. Um, I've been really enjoying this show and it's continuing to get better in in its uh, third season. To me, this might be my favorite just like straight comedy on TV right now, not including the shows like Barry and Atlanta that are, are, have maybe some different aspirations, but in terms of just like half an hour and it makes me feel good and laugh. I love mythic quest, man. There's not a, there's not a weak link in the cast and there's not really an episode that I don't like. Same doubling it up. I'm in the first three episodes of the new season. And I just always love with them being a tech show, how they like get ahead of things or like Mm -hmm. uh, have to go back to whatever the last, since the last season was the last (laughs) big tech thing that happened. And then they have to like retroactively discuss it. Uh, I think they've always been really keen on that stuff. So I would also recommend mythic quest highly. Uh, My last big one. You may have one more is the menu in theaters. I have not seen this one, but Mm -hmm. I am very excited to go catch this. The trailers continue to play at every single showing that I go to comedy, horror, thriller. It seems like a blender of different uh, genres, 
cast looks fantastic. Very excited to see how this plays out. I'm sure many have heard about the menu. So I'm excited to see. The yeah, I think that's one, that one's still not coming out until till next weekend. Unfortunately, am, am I that excited for it? Yeah, I'm that excited for it. Yeah, Sorry, you're just. I'm just getting, saying. I'm craving it. it, bro. I'm so hungry for it. Because no. I, I had the same thing too. Right? I had the wonder I might think because we just got the the screening link for it. But that's also still not till November 16th. So I'm just looking two 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 ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's clearing out for Black Panther. There's li- limited sounds- options. It, a lot of them are the those more indie movies that are expanding. I think Fablemans, the Steven Spielberg movie, is getting like a in a couple theaters in New York and LA release too. But uh, we'll talk about that more soon, I'm sure. Uh, but you have another pick that just made its way to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. We talked about this last week just to have it on there on people's radar. See how they run. If you're seeing a lot of these Searchlight movies out in theaters... Just no, you don't have to worry about it in a month and change. It'll be out on a streaming service. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I'll probably catch up with that one. Uh, Another movie that was in theaters, but is going to be much more readily available uh, over on Disney Plus this weekend. Very good. Is maybe my favorite documentary of the year so far. Fire of Love, the Sundance Award winner about uh, the Vulcanologists. Uh, This one is just a very beautifully assembled uh, piece of uh, editing because this is all taken from uh, archive footage and archived materials. The footage they get of these volcanoes is just so amazing. Uh, You just can't, like, look away from it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think this is just a, a like a hypnotizing movie in some ways, especially given that beautiful Miranda July voiceover uh, that it accompanies it. I know some people who we saw it with thought it was like a little bit sleepy, but to me that was just like the the perfect the perfect compliment to this uh, this like introspective nature documentary. I don't know. Yeah. So now that it's going to be streaming in everybody's home, I, I really Watch hope people catch up with Fire of Love. Yep. Yeah, one of the most beautiful documentaries I've seen in quite some time. Uh, but I'm going from one documentary that I saw and love to a documentary we haven't seen yet, but I'm, I'm hoping I love too. Is That Black Enough for You, the debut documentary from film critic turned documentarian Elvis Mitchell, uh, looking at a lot of historic black cinema with interviews uh, from a lot of iconic black voices, uh, it just seems like a really cool uh, film. Look at film history. You know, we've seen some of these documentaries that are able to kind of add context around some of the most important films uh, that we've had. And uh, particularly in black cinema, I feel like a lot of the earlier entries often get overlooked when we're trying to talk about, you know, the most important feats or the, the people that ultimately influence the people we love. So uh, to get this kind of deep dive from somebody who knows a lot about it, talking to people who lived it, experienced it, were influenced by it. I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one. I'm hoping it's going to be really good. Sounds good. Uh, do you have one more pick on Netflix? Uh, I do not. I'm cutting that one, bro. No, you know what? You know what to recommend that one. No, we'll see. I'll watch it next week, and then if I do, then I'll say it on the show. <laughs> All right, um, I'll throw out another pick that I haven't seen yet. What I'm not got? so sure how great this one will be, but Bar Fight uh, does feel like it might be fun, starring Melissa Fumero, who we just talked about a bit on Blockbuster, also starring uh, Rachel Bloom, who's on a show I know you're really enjoying, oh, Reboot, Reboot yeah, over on really Hulu. Good. 
Yeah. Um, just looks like a cute kind of low-key comedy uh, about a couple who got divorced and now are fighting over who gets to keep their bar, the bar that they frequented. That's funny. I don't know. Seems okay. like a decent time. Decent. Sounds good. Keep an eye out for it. Um, but I think that might bring us to the end of this edition of Weekend Must Watch. Yes, then, sir. You, unless you got anything else to add to us. No, just make uh, sure you, you can get... catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at ZShevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H, and check out my YouTube and TikTok channels, at Multiplex Show. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Explain on YouTube, on Twitter, on Letterboxd, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod. We can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much requested five star review. A uh, shout out to our listeners in Belgium and Nigeria for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Like doing? our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter. Support our Patreon. You can find them all at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. And also check out the link to our Discord in the description below to join our Intercutie community. Talk about movies throughout the week. It's a fun place to hang out. Thanks again for tuning into the live stream. And until next time, uh, I can't really take Enola Holmes seriously because every time I see her name, I just think to myself, Enola Holmes, like in a Mrs. Doubtfire voice. It's, it's just all a little bit ridiculous. <laughs>